how do we take the data that we know about a customer and provide the best solution for them, answer their questions before they ask in a way that also lines up with our best case scenario. And they're really as cheesy as it is, there are real win-win situations like that. So that's what I'm looking for, the next frontier of using data like that every step of the way. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to and watching the one-to-one consumer marketing podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Peter Klein at Ideal Living. Peter, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Ben. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into some topics around, you know, customer retention, lifecycle marketing, all the things that you're doing at Ideal Living. Before we dive into that, can you give our audience a little background on yourself and how you ended up at your current role at Ideal Living? Absolutely. So I've been in direct response marketing for almost 20 years now, which is crazy how that number keeps getting bigger. And it's really been focused for the last dozen or so on the customer and retention and the customer experience. I was at Guthy Ranker infomercial giant with proactive, meaningful beauty, other brands like that on the current member marketing team really focused on the how to keep them in subscriptions and, and keep that experience good. Went from there to Golden Hippo, which is a big online direct response marketer. They have a ton of brands. And I realized there's a theme actually with my career where you'll see it is these large direct response kind of portfolio umbrella companies that have multiple brands in health and wellness. And I work across the brands on all of them. So at Golden Hippo, the largest brand there is Gundry MD, which is Dr. Stephen Gundry, a lot of video sales letters and I was the chief customer officer there and also the CEO of their call center business and their fulfillment business for a while. So it was really every aspect of the customer journey from as soon as we got them all the way through. And for the last year and a half or so, I've been at Ideal Living, as you mentioned in the um, the vice president of customer growth and retention there. And Ideal Living has multiple brands that are in those spaces. And the home environment space is a big one for us with brands like Air Doctor, which is professional grade air purifiers and AquaTrue, which different water purifiers with a lot of science and patents and everything behind it. So it's never a dull moment working on multiple brands at once and and seeing how customers behave similarly and differently across the brand. So lots of fun. And I, I love direct response, the testing and learning and optimizing that never stops. It's a real charge. Yeah, thank you for that intro. I'm sure there's a lot of things you can speak to when it comes to retention, given your experience and all that. I think, you know, most marketers, it's already a big challenge doing retention and kind of customer growth at a single brand. So doing it across the portfolio is is even more interesting, I think, or just presents very different challenges. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that. I mean, you mentioned running phone acquisition in some instances, like being in the industry for 20 years and kind of like the infomercial space too. I'm sure you've seen the space transform a lot. Can you talk through that evolution a little bit and how you see the current state of consumer marketing? Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, it's changed a lot. And I remember, so my earliest days, I was working for a DR consultancy and everything was TV. It was infomercials and spots. And that's how we got people. And the, the attribution was simple. We had unique phone numbers. People called those numbers and we knew where the, the order came from. Then and it was right at the cusp of things changing. And I ran a campaign where we put, we had a website, which was a new thing to do on a campaign. And we put a toll-free number on the website and saw that most of our orders came from that toll-free number instead of whatever we were running 
in the different spaces, which was eye-opening, like, oh, so people are going to this website and then calling the number. So, and so yeah, Gutty Ranker, big infomercial company, proactive and those brands, that was still their main way of acquiring customers. And when I went to Golden Hippo, where the video sales letter was a predominant channel of acquiring customers, it really was the evolutionary infomercial. It was the long form one that had different sections and each section has its own purpose. You know, there has to be the introduction of the problem, the doctor or guru with their credentials. Here's what people have tried in the past. Here's why it didn't work. Here's why I'm personally driven to do this. And ta-da, here's what I'm offering to solve it. And the one big difference was with infomercials, you never knew where someone was starting in the infomercial because they were flipping the channels. So there was a lot of repetition in the apps where you'd make sure you were hitting the same points throughout, but there would be a two-minute call to action through a few different times so that everyone was getting the features and benefits. And with a video sales letter, you know where they're starting. And so you have a little more control and you can see where they're dropping off. And that's where the testing and optimizing is amazing with that. If you look and you see that people drop off at a certain point, you both switch that section out, test it again, and, and see if you can flatten that curve out a little. So yeah, it keeps changing. And right now, you know, with the influencers and everything that we're using at Ideal Living, it's similar. What it all comes down to, when it's a product that requires some kind of explanation, is having a trusted voice telling you, this is why I like this and why you should look into it, instead of just having something on the shelf. And I think that's kind of the through line from infomercials and BSLs and influencers, that that's what people want when it's not an impulse buy, when it's a higher ticket item with some science behind it, when it's health related, you want someone to really be able to explain, this is why it's better than other things and why you should buy this. Yeah, that's such an interesting through line through the like the evolution of mm-hmm. the, the ways of doing marketing there that I personally haven't thought of having not been exposed to so many infomercials that, like back in the day for sure, but not mm-hmm. as much recently. I mean, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. So like at Ideal Living, you know, you mentioned the high average order value, like the more considered purchase and obviously the impact that that has on acquisition, but also kind of customer growth and retention. Can you talk through a little bit more on that topic? Like how are you doing it at today when consumers have so much information, so much power at their fingertips to make a more considered choice to kind of evaluate you against competitors? What is that doing to kind of your retention and acquisition? Right. That's a good question. And that's one of the real benefits of the influencer channel is that when someone hears from that trusted voice and there's enough of an impulse to go to the site and use a a coupon code and or however we're, we're able to get them to go from hearing about it to taking action, once they're in the fold that way, then we've done a lot of the work already. So when it comes to the retention side, and so take Air Doctor, for example, the, the units themselves are great and tested. I mean, there's so many stats. If you go to you know, airdoctorpro.com, you'll see just the number of clinicals and everything behind it. But every once in a while, uh, every six months or so, or 12, depending on the unit, you need more filters. And so what we found on the email side, I oversee the email channel at Ideal Living, is they're already in on the science behind it on why they need it in their lives. So that makes the additional sales a lot easier because it's just, hey, we're having a sale on this thing that you know you need and we're going to make it easy to click here, which leads to higher click-throughs and and higher conversion because it's, oh yeah, I need that. And I'm going to take a little detour here. But so Black Friday and Cyber Monday, we 
set some pretty audacious goals for the month of November and hit them. And the main reason that I love that, not just because of the, the revenue number, which is always nice to see, but every return customer, every return purchase is earned. And it is incredibly validating to the entire process when someone buys a second time. What it tells me as a marketer is we found them where they were, that the message worked, that they went, the website worked, the you know the credit card processing, everything worked there. If they search, you know, because we know customers have multiple touch points before they buy, they didn't see anything that turned them off in that app. We had inventory, the fulfillment team shipped it out on time, it arrived, and the product works and meets the expectations that they had. If we missed any of those steps, they're not buying from us a second time. So every time a customer buys something else from us, whether it's another purifier or from a cross-sell, another product from another brand of ours, it's incredibly validating and tells me we did it right along the, the path for the first time. So that's something that is never gets old. And the ROI is always great on those because there's no additional acquisition cost when they're existing customers. It's you know, when you're sending an email and they're buying, that's you know, it's a, you know, our time and the, the email provider, but that's, that's it. So those are always big wins. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like when you create that coherent customer experience and everything works, it does feel great as a marketer to then see that, that sale and the revenue get added to the business. So I can imagine that's very fulfilling. I mean, you mentioned like the acquisition costs, like what you're doing in terms of retention and how that's growing customer lifetime value. Can you talk a little bit more about how retention and lifecycle marketing fits into your broader company strategy? Like, and has that changed over time? Well, let's say it's changed and it hasn't. In one regard, some of the earlier products that Ideal Living, so Ideal Living has been around for a couple of decades and the two co-founders, Katie Williams and Peter Spiegel are legends in that industry and were around from the beginning of infomercials really when that became its own industry. And there was a time where supplements were some of the major products that we were selling and really honed our ability to measure retention and, and keep people in memberships with products that were working and making their lives better. And so we got the bones of the metrics and and that cadence down then. Now, it's different once you get into hair and water purifiers and, and filters, but the mechanics are really the same. It's, you know, remember, these are all the benefits and why you need this and we're going to make it easy for you. And it's knowing what buttons to push and testing like crazy and making sure. So for example, there are on Air Doctor, there are some knockoff filters that people can buy for less money. And so we have to get in front of that in our post-purchase flow and everything to say, you just spent money on this amazing device. It's like getting a Ferrari and putting olive oil in it. Yeah, that it's not, you know, make sure you're putting the right thing in there because, you know, we can only vouch for the efficacy if you're using our filters in it. So making sure that we're educating at the right point and ahead of time before they make that decision to look elsewhere because it, yeah, you know, we, we want them to get the best out of it. Yeah. And always, always a better idea to tackle it head on versus pretend mm-hmm. like the, the alternative doesn't exist. I mean, <laughs> you mentioned, you mentioned metrics and kind of quoting yes. that ad process of refinement. Mm-hmm. Can you talk through a little bit about that? Like, what are you measuring from a retention standpoint? How are you honing the process? How are you increasing uh, the performance? Great. Yes. And it's something that we're really on the cusp of even taking things to the next level with it, because it all comes down to what do you know about your customers and how actionable is it? So 
we have people on our list who are buyers and non-buyers. And then within that, uh, we segmented into how engaged they are and they behave differently. And so, for example, a non-buyer, we may want to have a series for them that is a little more educational and getting them into the fold with a main unit, a, a purifier, while the existing buyers, you know, it's the filter, it's the, the education. And so what we found, and we have a, a great email partner called Alchemy Works, who has taken our data and shown us for these different segments, here's their tolerance of how many emails you can send them in a week before the unsub rate gets where we don't want it. And so for our most engaged buyers, we have a lot of great content. They're not dropping off, even when we're sending you know, seven, eight, nine emails a week sometimes. And so we know it. Great. They want to hear from us. They are getting value from what we're sending out. So that's really helpful. And to also see you know, this area, maybe three or four a week is enough. So we have to pick and choose what's the most important message to tell this person on this part of their customer journey. And so when it comes to metrics, what I've seen in the past with other companies and other roles is sometimes being a little blinded by the day one ROI. And that's dangerous because if something's converting a little better, you shouldn't just automatically call that a win and, and drop off the other one. What if the second one has more continuity subscribers and a, a longer lifetime value and you got them from a different channel. So it's really taking a step back and seeing the whole picture. And so we'll, I look, if it's a, a supplement uh, membership, then I'm looking for average number of turns. Where are they dropping off? Typically, how do we get them a message right before the average cancellation date to remind them about the benefits or you know proper usage? And same with you know, filters and, and warranties. It's just looking at the data, seeing where do actions typically happen and what action do we want customers to take? How do we help get them along that path? And I have a story. Uh, <laughs> so it'll take a little, but I, I think it's worth it. So when I was at Guthy Ranker, uh, Proactive would get 10 to 12 million customer service phone calls a year. I mean, it was a main channel, which was great because I could test things and have significant data we could test 10% of the list in one day, have enough data to make a decision. And what we found, I, one of my main charges was extending the lifetime value and the number of continuity shipments that customers got. So we looked at the data and saw that if someone calls one to five or six days after their initial purchase, more likely than anything else, they're calling asking where their shipment is. If it's day 28 or beyond that, it's asking, what's this charge? on my card, because that's when the second installment or the second shipment was happening. Between seven and 27, though, was usually more often than not, I want to cancel because I'm not seeing results. So what we did was I worked with the IT folks to have this data cache that we could recognize someone's phone number when they called almost all the time, because phone numbers were still a big part of how people were ordering. And when we recognized them, we had hundreds of data points on them, including their last shipment and was it a starter kit and how many days it's been so what we did was we implemented an automatic message that for if they called and we recognized their number and it was between seven and 27 days from their initial order before anything else before a menu where they could even push cancel to get to an agent would play an automated message that would say thank you for joining the proactive family as a reminder it can take six to eight weeks to see your full results so Follow the steps that Doctors Rodan and Field played out for you. Remember to use all three products in order and stick with it. You're doing a great job. Can't wait to see your after photos. And we pause and 
a lot of the customers would hang up then because we answered their question before they even asked it. And just by using data to have a marketing message, which truly, I mean, it was better for us, but it was better for them too. They, they didn't have to wait to talk to an agent, uh, you know, any cold time. They didn't have to have that conversation. And it saved us that talk time. And chances are they were going to stick around a little longer and actually see results because the products worked for most of the customers. So it's that kind of thing that I would love to see us be able to do online and on the digital space now is how do we take the data that we know about a customer and provide the best solution for them, answer their questions before they ask in a way that also lines up with our best case scenario. And they're really as cheesy as it is, there are real win-win situations like that. So that's what I'm looking for, the next frontier of using data like that every step of the way. Yeah, that's a great example, I think, of, of identifying really like those trigger points in like drop-offs and what they're actually looking for and proactively mm-hmm. kind of dealing with it before it even gets to that. I It's a great example. I mean, you mentioned bringing that into like how consumers interact today. Obviously, I imagine the phone is not as big a part of mm-hmm. the channel mix anymore. And as you deal with that change, like what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing in the space in terms of retention and loyalty? Yeah, good question. So I just came from the e-tail conference in Palm Springs and every panel, roundtable, keynote speaker, there were two main things. It was personalization and AI. And those were hit hard every single time. And one of the things that was really talked about was the importance of zero party data and what you can get from the customer and in a way that it's not intrusive and they they're happy to share something to then get the deal and it can be as minor as do you rent or own your home like if we have a squeeze page and ask that question before they get you know so let's say an influencer gets them a link they click on it they have a couple question survey before they get to the page that would be really helpful for us on the AquaTrue side, the water purification, because if they are renters, then they probably do not want the under the sink version of the water purifier where they have to install it versus a countertop one. And so it, and that's just a you know, high level example. But when you get that information, when you ask for it, and we survey customers all the time also, but when you ask for the information and get it, if you can immediately use that to make it a better path for them, I was thinking about this earlier, and I remember you know, when Amazon started with the people who bought this product also bought these things. It wasn't, at least to me, and, and feel free to, if you had a different experience, but I wasn't weirded out by that. Like, you know, why are you looking at my behavior and, and suggesting things? It was helpful, and they were right. Often I was looking for other things like that. So there is a tolerance that we have of, yeah, you can use what you know about me if, it, if you're going to present things that I'm interested in or help me solve the problem that I've already identified having. So Mm. that's where I kind of see, I want to, I want to do this much more than we currently are, but it's, that's where we're really starting. How do we get data and immediately start using it so that it's better for the customer and, and just a more seamless buying process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely what we see in, in the messaging space too. There's a willingness to share zero party data, you know, data that your customers are giving you explicitly in order to personalize the experience. And I think your example of landing on a landing page and then the other one of Amazon is a good one because I would actually push back a tiny bit on the Amazon one where I think Mm -hmm. the landing page example is one where you're explicitly asking and it's clear to the person engaging that if they give you that data, they're going to have a personalized experience. And so they're more willing to do that. 
And the Amazon one, I think, creeps people out a little bit more because they know that it's probably data that's being tracked in the background. And so they're not actually explicitly giving it to you. And that's where I think a key difference lies, particularly with younger generations who are, because I totally agree with you, that zero-party data, they're so willing to give it in exchange for a better experience. And that that really is, at the end of the day, what will drive more retention and more loyalty. So I think great, great examples to put side by side. I mean, what channels, you know, we talked a little bit about the evolution of, you know, from phone to web. What channels are you seeing work best? You mentioned you're in charge of email. Like, is that your core channel now or what's working yeah. for you? So the influencers and different affiliates are still for the ideal living brands for those home environment products like Air Doctor and AquaTrue. That, that's a really big channel for us uh, because, as I mentioned it, these are products that require some explanation. And there are others that other products that seem similar. So having someone explain the differences and spend the time with it, that that it has been great for us. And I think it'll continue being great for the same reasons as the video sales letter will work. Where right. It's just walking them through. Then aside from that, we still do for some of our brands, some TV short form. We have some long form infomercials that have been running for yeah, 15 years and the one still beat uh, <laughs> any new version that we test against it because you know, the message is down and, and it, it works, but that channel's not thriving quite the same way. But at the same time, we're looking at everything. We're, we're testing some direct mail. We're testing different lead gen. Uh, and so this kind of ties into what we're talking about too. I was saying our emails don't have to be too specific right now because they've already understood the promise of the, the product and they're in. And I can't use those same emails if we're getting cold top of funnel people through a, a lead gen campaign. So at that point, then I have to switch more to, all right, now what are the main things that people want to hear and how do we address that? And it, so it's it's completely different writing and it it's just that you know, very, very basic marketing premise of knowing who you're talking to and, and, and tailoring it to that audience. Yeah, that touches, I guess you also mentioned kind of personalization and AI being such a big part of the recent conference you went to. I think it's something a <laughs> lot of marketers are are grappling with right now. You've touched on it a little bit in terms of how you build, you know, different segments in your list and kind of mm-hmm. tailor your messaging to them. But are there other ways that you're trying to connect kind of one-to-one with your current and potential customers? Yeah, even though we're all unique individuals, we're not all really unique buyers and consumers. I mean, we fit into buckets. And so what I, I think we're at an interesting inflection point with some of this technology where We shouldn't be trying to have an absolutely unique experience for every single customer. I can see people really getting lost in the the detail with that or trying to use, and that's where chat GPT and AI, I think it depends on how people are using it. If if Mm -hmm. people are trying to really have it be unique for everyone, then that's not going to be the dial moving thing versus the the 80-20 rule. Or or you have four different five different 20s to make up your your customer base. and, And then you look at that and say, all right, how do we help with what we know about them. So I think that's the way to really use this technology is to find, you know, call them medium picture <laughs> adjustments instead of getting too granular. And as far as uh, AI and, and the, the chat goes, we just had something come up recently where we wanted a blog post about something that ends like, if we can get this out today, that would be great. And someone went to chat GPT, typed in really just a couple things and got a blog post that then are head of copywriting spent a few minutes with 
made it better because it wasn't quite right, but it was, it was still very impressive as a starting document. And we were able to shape that, change it and make it in our voice and get it out really quickly. And that's, that's where if used properly, I see AI really helping propel the speed of things getting done. Because I know for me, I'm a much better editor if there are bullets or a first version down versus a blank page in front of me. And so I think that's really going to help kickstart things. And unless people are just using it for fun, like uh, my son asked ChatGPT to write a sea shanty about the 2000 Lakers, which is something, and it did. And it was, it was very impressive, but yeah, I don't want to get too lost in the fine side of it when we can, we can yeah, actually have some, some actionable insights from it. Yeah, I think, I mean, that shift from creation more towards editing and kind of curation will, will probably accelerate very quickly with those types of technologies. And coming back to what you said about the 80-20 rule and really identifying the core buckets of customers and like how you can nurture them to a purchase, I think is, is a very important point because it's so easy, especially for CRM marketers and retention marketers to be swimming in a sea of data and potential channels of engagement. And so simplifying it down to that level is powerful. I think what we've seen with our customers too, is that it's not necessarily the like totally unique one-to-one level of personalization in terms of the actual experience that matters, but connecting on the channels where consumers are and like where they want to engage in an almost one-to-one way. That's why messaging shines is it's not that everyone's conversation is unique, but it feels like a one-to-one connection between the brand and the customer, which ultimately can be very powerful. I mean, you mentioned ChatGPT, like what are for you kind of the more exciting consumer marketing trends at the moment? I would love the ability to visualize our data and find those exciting buckets so that the thing that I get most excited about is like the example I used with Proactive earlier, like how do we use data to identify not just the customer segments, but an actual behavior that we either want to encourage or discourage. And I have another example from that because Guthy Ranker just had so much data with, with the number of customers and everything. One thing that we found was customers who had canceled or called to cancel a membership and were saved. If they called another time after that to cancel and were saved a second time, the lifetime value after that second save was negative. They would get shipped something and more often than not return it or cancel. It was not worth saving them a second time. So what we did was we instituted a previously saved flag in that data cache so that if someone called and we saw that they had been saved, if they pressed cancel, instead of the normal path would be you go, you wait on hold, you talk to an agent and talk to them and we'd save 25, 30% of people, if they had that previously saved flag, it was a message that said, okay, your account has been canceled. Thank you. And that was it. It saved us talk time. It saved dollars. And it was a business decision made based on the data and the behavior of the customers. And again, it was better for the customer. They didn't have to have that conversation and try to be saved again. So that's what I see happening is that in the, the online world is finding what we owe either given to us directly from the customer or just their behavior in CRM, being able to, to map out their journey and institute those, I'll call them you know, like pre-knowledge tests of, we think this is what they're going to do. 
Let's see if we're actually answering their question or not. And that's the fun part. And I hope that's what the future holds is that these technologies enable us to just implement more and more of those tests. Because when those work and you really see that the satisfaction is high and not, we're not high-fiving around the office, but then it's a symbolic high-five. I, I can sense it. <laughs> yeah, I like that example too, because it's about zooming out a bit too, right, from the data and then not getting stuck in like, oh, the renewal is what matters. We got a renewal, but okay, actually right. the lifetime value becomes negative in this event. So let's change our approach and bigger picture that's better for the company. It's definitely the kind of thing that we hope predictive modeling and things like that can do uh, right. in the future. So there's a lot of promise there. There, yeah. there is. And one quick thing on that is the analytics team told me something once at, at Guthrie Ranker that really surprised me, which was we don't want the save rate to get higher than a certain number. And that just blew my mind because I thought, well, why? Why don't we want to save everyone who says that they want to cancel? And what they saw was after a certain point, we're saving some people who we shouldn't save, who are not going to stay on it and who are going to end up costing us more money. So let's find ways to you know, pre-save people with information before they even call to cancel. And then that changes the metrics that you're looking at because the save mm -hmm. rate going down may actually be a good sign. That means that you educated them on their ability to change their frequency of their shipments or something like that before they called to cancel and learned it at that point. So then looking at maybe we need to see overall cancel rate in a given you know, day or week instead of looking at the save rate because all of it goes into the same thing. So then mm -hmm. that part is cool too, is you know, like, hey, you know, this metric no longer fits our needs. What are we really trying to get out here? And what should we be measuring to tell us the story? Yeah. Yeah. Great example of those differences. I mean, you know, you've worked across a number of different brands. You had that experience that spans, you know, 20 years, you said at the beginning of the interview. What are kind of the top three pieces of advice you would give other marketers or things you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> well, first, and I think this hits both of those, is test, test, test. Every single thing you can. And when something wins, don't sit on your laurels and you know, celebrate. You get your next test and you can always optimize. And the reason that that touches on things I wish I knew, because there are so many times that I thought something was either a surefire hit that did not win, or I thought, why would anyone in the world like this ad? And it blew away the control. So yeah, no one knows anything. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing is, and that's the point of testing. So there's that. Second, I'd say really know your pain points and what you're willing to do about it. So for the Golden Hippo brands, Mark Clemens, the CEO, was very he wanted to make sure that whenever someone looked somewhere else on the internet, that they wouldn't see something negative about the brand that would change their mind. So what that meant was spending extra attention on having our better business bureau grades all be A pluses and A's or staffing call centers so that calls were answered quickly and there weren't going to be any negative comments about, I can never get a hold of someone. And making sure that, so that's your pain point. I don't want negative reviews. Then spend the time and money to ask for ask your customers for reviews and create a, a flow where you're, you're getting them. And so it's in, that's the second thing is really, if you identify a pain point, what are you willing to do about it? To Because you, you can't fix it. And the third thing is, say, really making the most of new product launches. It's something that I've seen people do poorly and incredibly well. And when you have something new, you can either use the you know, Jeff Walker product launch blueprint where it's just, you say to your customers, 
you ask, and we're working on it. Can't wait to tell you more. Then the next email is, I can't say much yet, but really excited about the progress we're making. Then the next is maybe, here are some ingredients we're going to be using and some of the clinicals behind them. This is, this is great. Stay tuned. Until you get to the point, yeah, a couple of weeks later where you're saying, now you have the right to, you know, now you can sign up for the pre-sale. They are in. And these are your, your best customers, your evangelists. So that versus just I've been places where they just put a new product up on the website. Like that was their version of, and maybe there's a banner, but that was how they launched a new product. So those are the two yeah, extremes, but mm-hmm. really pay attention to that because your best customers and existing customers, they're going to be very honest with you with their wallets and with their, their keyboards on how they feel about new products. And then you can use that when starting acquisition campaigns. So these are the roadblocks that we face. Now let's get in front of it with how we're acquiring customers and, and address it head on. So I think those are three at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, I mean, those are good pieces of device, you know, always test, you know, the power of good product launches, I think particularly in the context of priming and, you know, the doubling down, you know, when you have identified a pain point, make sure you take action to fix it. I think all things that marketers would benefit from implementing uh, in their own careers, you know, as we wrap up, no one likes to make predictions, but five years from now, what does the future of consumer marketing look like for you? Huh. I sure wish I, I definitively knew that answer. My wife is a trained psychologist and, and she would say that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so I think if I glance into the crystal ball, I would say five years from now, there will be some emerging technologies that people are, are wondering, are these really going to revolutionize the way we do things with complaints about attribution and some iOS changes? I think that that is going to be or whatever the equivalent of it is then. But I think the personalization aspect, I expect that to really take a, a giant leap in terms of maybe we don't have these monolith brands anymore that speak to all people when we have the chance to say, you know, what do you want and how can we help serve you? And if that means that we have some real loyalists with certain brands, but but I don't think there are going to be as many one size fits all. And we're already seeing that there's so many similar companies in the same space. But I think that's where we're going is just some hyper-targeted, but very deep connections with brands that solve the problems. And if, if customers are customers are smart, yeah, and if, if they say this is what we want, then it's up to the marketers to help provide that solution in a way that actually addresses it. And I'm hoping that that trend will also get some of the bad actors and, and crappy products out of the marketplace because... People, like I was talking about those earned second purchases, I would love to see the people who just throw something up, the ads I see with claims that no one is able to make and before and afters and putting a picture of Oprah on there when she absolutely did not endorse that product. Like, I want to see all of those go away so that the, the companies like the ones that I have been privileged to work for who really are trying to improve people's lives with their products can get a, a stronger foothold. Yeah, I mean, I think that idea of like a hyper-targeted messaging and deep connection to consumers is one that's a great note to end on. I think that would be a very positive future uh, for consumer marketing. So we can I'm an optimist. Yes. That. <laughs> you know, before that's what we're going to have time for today. But before we wrap up, um, if people want to follow you and learn more about what you're doing and your journey, where should they go? Best place. I'm, I'm one of maybe 500 Peter Kleins on LinkedIn. I'm the one who works at Ideal Living. I don't post too much there, but come find me. And 
I mean this 100% sincerely. I love having conversations like these and being an extra set of eyes on anything that people are working on. If you know, if someone wants to reach out, uh, say you heard me on this, I would love to to get that feedback too. But and anytime someone just wants to chat about marketing, that I, I love this stuff and could do it all day. So LinkedIn is probably the best place for that. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining today. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoyed this conversation too. I love having conversations like this with other marketers as well. So you heard Peter Klein, one of 500, but if you combine is- that with Ideal Living, uh, I'm sure you'll find him. Send him a DM uh, about your thoughts on the podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing or send me feedback on the podcast, come to me on LinkedIn, send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you or check out Spectrum on LinkedIn or spectrum.io. And thanks for your time today. And Peter, it was great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Ben. This was a lot of fun. 